Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to day 43 of the 7 a.m. Novelist 50 Day Writing Challenge, First Draft Edition. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Today, we're starting our week discussing the end of the book because we're also getting into the end of this whole crazy writing challenge. Um, in particular, we're talking about the dark night of the soul, the crisis, and the climax with Julie Carrick Dalton. Sorry, Julie, I'm screwing up your name already. It's way too early. Julie Carrick Dalton and Tara Masai. Welcome, ladies. Hello, thanks for having me. Good morning. Morning. Uh, Tara Lynn Masai is a National Jewish Book Award finalist and a winner of the Julia Howe uh, Award, a Florida Book Award, a Benjamin Franklin Award, and a multiple Forward Book of the Year Awards. Uh, she is the author of the acclaimed novel, My Real Name is Hannah, and the editor of the Rose Metal Press Field Guide to Writing Flash Fiction. Tara is also founded the Best Small Fiction series, which I love, and How We Disappear is her second story collection. She lives in St. Augustine, Florida, so she's warmer than we are up in Boston right now. Uh, Julie Carrick Dalton's debut novel, Waiting for the Night Song, has been named to the most anticipated 2021 book list by CNN, Newsweek, USA Today, Parade, and BuzzFeed, and was an Amazon editor's pick for Best Books of the Month. Her work has appeared in Orion Magazine, the Boston Globe, Business Week, the Chicago Review of Books, Lit Hub, and others. She is an alum of Tin House, Breadloaf, and Grub Street's Novel Incubator Program. She's also a member of the Climate Fiction Writers League. Her second novel, The Last Beekeeper, will be published in March. All right, ladies, welcome. Thank you so much for being on this morning. Again, today we're moving into the end of the book talking about the dark night of the soul, the crisis and the climax. These are really important plot points um, that you can either choose to pay attention to or challenge and undermine or ignore altogether, whatever your process is and whatever, however you like to shape your work. Um, but I always think it's good to know about some of the basic stuff, some of the assumptions that a reader might be making in terms of what you're doing in terms of structure. Um, if you then want to subvert it, or if you then want to try to do something else. So Julie was most interested when I put out topics to writers about the dark night of the soul. So I'm going to get, let her get us going with what the dark night of the soul is and why she's interested in it. And why, why do you use it, Julie? Thanks, Michelle. Um, so the reason I wanted to talk about it is because I think I was terrible at it. I didn't, it's something yes. I had to really struggle to learn. And I learned it from you, actually, Michelle. I would, um, I think of the dark night of the soul as it's that moment before you're heading into the climax, the crisis, and your character is, you know, they're isolated from their allies. They have, you know, if it's a, you know, depending on what kind of book you're writing, they've lost their superpowers or they've lost their um, their resources, their confidence. They've lost the person they love. Their best friend is turned on them. They've just, you strip away all the resources that your character had and they are in, you know, they're at the bottom of the well and you pulled the ladder up. I mean, they have nothing. All they have left in that moment is their inner resources. So your character is, you know, stuck in the bottom of that well just with himself, wrestling with like, why am I doing this? Why does it matter? What do I really want? You know, why does any of this matter? And you, that's when your character reveals himself. And the reason I struggled with it so much is I have a very difficult time being hard on my characters, which you may remember this. Yes, about you do. Michelle. Yes from the novel incubator is I kept dancing close to having bad things happen to my characters, but in the end it would always be fine because I kept thinking, I love my characters and I don't want bad things to happen to them. But yes. what I realized is they aren't gonna grow. 
if they don't have to dig deep inside themselves to find the resources to get themselves out of the situation. And I would say there's also a case for, you know, sometimes they don't, you know, sometimes, you know, a novel doesn't have to have a happy ending. You know, you right. don't have to, you know, every, everything doesn't have to work out fine. So it's that moment when you're just alone with yourself or your character is alone with himself with nothing to help them except they're what, you know, digging deep inside themselves. And I think the metaphor of the well with the ladder pulled up is a perfect one because it can be a, uh, a place, an actual physical place of isolation or just a feeling that everything has run away from them. Everything is gone and they have to deal with themselves and they have to deal with their own culpability for things that have happened and their own inability to fix whatever problem it is, their own, their own inability to um, get after their goal. Oftentimes it involves facing their past in some way, their wound or misbelief that's been holding them back all along and causing damage. Um, and that's why I think we have to, in some ways we have to damage our characters because hopefully they've also caused some damage. <laughs> um, and so, and again, I always go, go into the idea that you're trying to break the character open in some way to reveal their humanity, to reveal to us who they, they really are. Um, and, and that breaks down all the social walls that they put up, all the pretense that they put up. Um, and that is, is the moment when they, yeah, when they grow the most. Um, and that's why the Dark Knight of the Soul can be so useful. And I think if you don't have that in a book, when you move into the, the final part of the book where things are beginning to be solved or get better or whatever, we resist that because we don't feel that the main characters earned it. Um, at the same time of what Julie said, it, your character might crack open to for change, but they might just snap right back and get even worse than they were before. I mean, that is a possibility. And, and that's oftentimes a very sad, um, tragic ending, but it's also very human. Um, and so you really want to think about, does your character have a chance to change like that? Um, Tara, I mean, have you thought about this sort of stuff with your books? Um, I know you were really interested in the crisis and climax moments. Does this, how does this, how does this stuff, does it relate to you at all to the Dark Knight of the Soul or, or what you're hearing? Or, or do you just, does it seem like the crisis to you? Well, um, I wanted to take part in this particular, um, uh, uh, it's it 7 a.m. novelist uh, yeah. session because I, I've also really struggled with this. As a short story writer, there's a lot less pressure, I think, to have these sort of plot points and have this grand, you know, crisis and climax and a much, you know, working in a much shorter space and we can often get away without doing that quite so much. So I'm kind of the newbie here in terms of, I only have one published novel behind me. You both have uh, two, right? Correct. And um, which means so, that we know everything that <laughs> how to write a novel, which is well, <laughs> you do get into that second one, that sophomore novel, because that's yeah. what I'm working on right now. That's another reason I wanted to get in on this discussion is they're very different for me from book one to book two. There's a lot of pressure on that. Yeah. Second and um, the first book was my real name is Hannah. Um, why I wanted to sort of discuss this and maybe issues for people who are struggling with it is that I had built in crisis points and climax because it's based on a real story uh, set in Ukraine during the Holocaust on a real family. 
So I already sort of had my framework for novel one. Yeah. And I kind of knew, even though this is fictionally a fictional story and I fictionalized it, um, I had those, that framework already set, which really helped me in my first novel. Otherwise I would have been totally lost. But even within that, because I was fictionalizing, I did have to sort of come up with um, more of an internal climax uh, as right. opposed to the external one that was already built for me. Yes. And so that was a bit of a challenge. Um, but uh, I, I'm also a very instinctive writer, which helps me in short stories because again, I have that smaller space and I'm a, I, I can just sort of wing it, but you can't, you can't do that in the novel. Um, and I often have, when I begin to write, one as I'm, I can say that now because I'm in the second one. Yeah, I know where I'm starting and I know where I'm ending, and yeah. what's sort of that resolution part. But I don't necessarily know um, building up to that climax what the climax is going to be, and then how I get to the resolution. So some of it's instinctive as I go along as I'm writing, allowing the character kind of. Uh, to take me, as you said, where where it wants to go. Yeah. Uh, he or she, and in this case, both times it's a she. Um, and I'm struggling it with the second novel. I have to be honest. It is something that um, I'm I'm having more trouble with because I've got to now create that. Right. Um, and uh, it this book is different because there's less going on externally. So that I'm finding that means I'm going to have to build the internal more. So hmm. those are my basic initial comments. Yeah. From my Great. I mean, and, but I think that there's, so there's so much pressure put on the second book, but even as you go into this third or fourth book, you think, okay, I know how to do this, but you don't. <laughs> I mean, cause each book has its own, own issues. Each book has has its own, and it feels like you're just starting from the from the first mark and learning all over again how to do it. So what I'm what I'm curious about is in your first book when you said you had to discover the more internal part of the crisis or climax. How did you do that? Like, what was that about? Um, well, I eventually decided that um, the strongest issue for my character was her her bond with her family because that is really what got them the real family and then my family through what they endured in the holocaust so um i thought okay i've got to raise raise the stakes on what maybe might happen to one of the family members and i actually without giving the plot away i did i did raise the, the um raise it on two, I actually decided to, because um, I, I, I'm very into realism. So I wanted one of the, I wanted it to be sort of realistic. So one of the characters unfortunately, unfortunately perishes. Mm -hmm. But the, um, my main character um, is the one who goes out and finds her father. Her father disappears at one point because they're they're hidden in underground caves and they have to go out uh the, the the males the men used to go out to do the foraging and get information the women always stayed underground so and that was in 
the real story. So I had, you know, as you, if you're basing on, if anybody's out there basing on real characters or, or historical facts, you have to kind of bend your, bend the facts sometimes your own to service your own story. And sometimes readers don't like that, but um, it's what makes for a better book. So I did have her be the one because for certain reasons that I built in earlier into the book, be the only one who can actually go out now to try and find her father. So that's how I built that climax in. And then I had a falling climax, which is uh, they're still underground, but the war is ending and they finally get to leave their underground caves. And so I had a, that was the main, that was the main climax when the father disappears and actually he's found. And then uh, there's the falling climax of, okay, now they're leaving the caves and they're going back home. And, you know, how, how does, you know, how, what's, what's happening when they go back home to their village? So it was kind of, I peaked it there and then I had a second peak and then the resolution. So I actually yeah. sort of had two climaxes. Yeah, and I think part of that is um, the multiple kind of solutions that a character has to find, even within the denouement, um, or even with the falling action at the end. Um, And we'll talk about that later this week, so that's really good. Um, We're getting a lot of good questions in the chat. So just basically, in my mind, um, setting up the crisis and climax moment. So you have the dark night of the soul, and Tara, it sounds like you actually literally had your people living, (laughs) you know... (laughs) close to living in a dark well so that's yeah that's useless. another reason I that's signed on to this one <laughs> yeah um then you have the crisis moment and again it's it's oftentimes that decision point and it could even overlap with the dark night of the soul of of where do I go from here um and they which choice do I make and so it's oftentimes a choice between what they thought they've wanted all along and something else that's pulling at them internally from pulling at their more deeper yearning. And so having to decide which way to go. Um, I oftentimes note the film Big because most people have seen the film Big in which Tom Hanks wishes that he, he's a young boy and he wishes in front of a genie that he were big, he just wants to be a bigger, stronger boy. And he actually turns into an adult. Um, At the end of the film, He's kind of liking his adult life. He's got a girlfriend, he's got an apartment, he's got a job, everything's working well. The whole film he's been working to try to get back home and become unbig. But at the crisis point, he's basically looking in a mirror and, and like, what do I really want here? And so you'll have a lot of mirror moments like this in which a character is, is looking at themselves and trying to figure out, you know, what, what, what do I really want here? So at the end of big, it's, do I want to stay with my big life? Or do I want to try to go back home to my mother who's desperately missing me and my best friend who's desperately missing me? And we don't quite know. We're kind of on the seesaw again. We don't quite know what choice that they're going to make. And then usually the choice that's made there is oftentimes the climax. It could, the climax doesn't have to be this big, loud explosion. Um, Oftentimes it's that decision point. Um, I also times think of um, James Joyce's story, um, um, Oh my God, the name of it just flew out of my head, but it's um, Araby, um, in which at the end, the, the young child protagonist has been wanting to buy a trinket from the market, the entire story. And at the end, he actually gets a chance to drive buy this trinket. Um, and the market is closing down and a woman faces him and, and she says, well, do you want anything? She says really nastily to him. And he says, 
no. And the reader is shocked because he's been wanting this, this so badly the whole time. And it's all wrapped up in his feelings of adulthood and his love of a woman that's too old for him and, and his feelings of freedom and his feelings of, of poverty. Um, that no is the climax of the story. And if you build it up enough, that decision point will have ripples all the way back and will feel quite large. Um, uh, I've got other examples too, but I want to get this time talking. So yeah, what, I will, um, yeah, can I, can go I ahead. I yes, please. Respond to, um, please. Marianne, um, yeah. because that sort of fits in. She says, to what extent do you as writers need to relive your own dark night of the soul in order to write this moment for your characters? Uh, really good question. And I'll, I'll let Julie answer her, you know, that as well, I think when I'm done, but, um, I do, I do think I had read somewhere that uh, your characters will be more invested if you personally are invested in that, in that climax and, and uh, resolution. And um, so, yes, I do when I'm choosing something for my character to go through, whether I haven't, whether I personally gone through it or not, um, it has to be something that's important to me. Otherwise, I'm honestly not going to finish my own book. Yeah. And I also do try and circle back. I all, even my short stories do that. Um, uh, almost all of my stories do it and the novel does it as well. Uh, I, lo I love when I read novels that start in a certain place and almost end up in the same, back in the same place, but there's so much that has changed as in the story example you just gave. Yeah, yeah, I think, um... Yeah, what, what Mary is saying in the um, chat, do you as writers need to relive your own dark night of the soul in order to write this moment? Julie, what do you think? Yeah, no, I definitely think so. And I, I can think of a very specific moment, again, going back to the incubator, that in my novel, Waiting for the Night Song, which I workshopped in the incubator, um, I had my character from page one had a goal that she was trying to achieve. And when I got to the end of the book, I had a very hard time uh, resolving this situation and the amazing Desmond Hall, who was on your show yesterday, yeah. you know, he said, you know, she, she is a minor spoiler alert, but um, you know, he, he's like, she needs to do the thing that she's been trying to not do the whole book. And he just looks at me and across that ink, the table in our workshop, he's like, she needs to drop the match. And I'm like, you would never do that. I would never do that. And this character is kind of me. We would never do that. And he looked at me and he goes, Exactly. exactly. And that's what broke her because there was a bigger reason to do the thing. The one thing she would never do. She yeah. did it for a greater story reason that was actually truer to her character and her nature and her moral compass than the goal was. Right. Um, so that, that to me was actually a breaking of me a little bit too, to allow my character to do this thing that felt so wrong but for a good reason. Um, yeah, I've learned infinite wisdom from Desmond Hall. Des, Desmond Hall is incredible. Yeah, I'm hoping as, as we continue this after the 50 days, I'm gonna have him on several times, hopefully. If, um, <laughs> yeah. Probably if I could just don't wake him up at 7 a.m. So notice that that decision, <clears throat> so she's faced with a crisis, but even before you get there, she has to have done some real deep self, you know, reflection to get there and she has to you have to put enough pressure on the character um and 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 bleed away everything else that they can count on that could be a distraction from looking inward because oftentimes we use other people or situations or the messiness of our lives as a distraction from looking inward 
and put enough pressure on the character so that they are at that crisis moment. And then they make that decision, that dropping of the mat, which I love. And we're not going to tell people what that is. You have to read her book, um, how that plays out. Um, and, it, and that you could think, well, how could that be the climax? But it is, it's huge. It's a huge decision because emotionally for the character, it's exactly opposite of what we would think she would do. And again, it's this, oh no moment. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she did that. Um, but you also can believe she did that because you've built it up to the extent that you're like, this is the only decision she could have gotten to. This is the only way she could have gone. Even though you, from the beginning of the novel, you would never have guessed that she could have gone there. Um, yeah, I have, um, I'm, I'm working on a novel now in which I, in the dark night of the soul, I actually think, I'm, I'm still figuring it out, but I actually think she's in prison. <laughs> <laughs> which you don't have to do that might be too extreme for most people but I actually think she's she's been involved with the crime and um I think she might admit or claim that she actually did the crime which is to her um exactly the opposite of anything she'd want to do the, so that decision point in terms of the solution um that she's finding to everything that you've built up over the over the book yeah and this topic is fascinating to me, and I, it's probably the one thing I think about most when I read other books now. Um, and I'm working on my third novel right now, and, and the, the concept and like the image of the story in my head starts with the dark night of the soul and building towards it, which is the opposite of how I wrote my first two books. But I know what I want that moment, that depth, that darkness to be. And I'm being much more intentional in how I'm getting my characters there. Um, not 100% sure how we get out, um, but that that to me is the most... I have the most clarity in this third book about that moment um, yeah. about the other scene in my book. And I do think when, you know, just like her question, um, lots of times when you're pushing your character to that place, you as a writer might be facing some of your own internal understanding of yourself, how you yourself work function emotionally. Um, some things in your past that, that come up that that are are uncomfortable places for you to even go to that you find has been brimming in the book all along because your subconscious you have written this book your subconscious is going to be in the book um, so lots of times you might have to go to very uncomfortable places with yourself and understanding of yourself in order to get your character there as well um, I mean, Tara, so is that when you're working, now you're working on your second book, do you feel more separate from the subject at hand? Do you feel than your first book or um, in terms of kind of finding that, that moment or that kind of grappling of, of yourself as you work through this, of your plot of your second book? I'm feeling more um, pressure from the outside on this book in terms of, I write his, I, now I can say, because it's the second book, I write historical fiction. Um, and I was going to say with historical fiction, in some cases, we have sort of a backup in that there are historical facts that have occurred. And often, sometimes, um, I, I feel like I'm a, a history detective, and I love the, doing the research. And I, I often find um, those pulse points, if you want, throughout a book, through historical research and finding things that are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. I've got to use that and I can use that and that's perfect for the book. So um, historical research helps me in that respect. Mm -hmm. This time around, um, because it's the second book, I'm writing for adults this time. The first book I should probably mention 
was written for young adults, obviously with adults in mind. And actually, it, as it turns out, more adults are reading it than, than young adults. Um, but now I'm writing for adults and I feel more pressure. I feel more pressure to satisfy them. Um, uh, they are more, they, you know, they're more, they've read more, they expect more. Um, yeah. I think the current trend of writing out there is to be a little bit more shocking or um, to definitely to catch people's attention and sell books to, um, to uh, you know, really rope in the reader. So, uh, but I, and I have a question for you, Michelle, when I'm done, because I really admire your work. I love your work because I think you, you have like that, you know, that perfect line. And I'm, I, I'm looking forward to reading Julie's uh, work. You have that perfect line between um, uh, literary and uh, genre. You know, you're mostly literary, but you, do, you've, you have broken into the uh, genre world as well. So, um, and there are different- This is why I have Tara on, so that she can say, <laughs> this is, the, yeah, this is why I have her on. Said, you have to say this stuff. And, <laughs> and it's true, and there are different expectations for both. And yeah. I came from the literary world, and I'm trying to get into not quite the genre, but exactly, I know, hopefully to be, you know, uh, where Michelle landed and Julia landed, obviously, from her first book as well. So uh, I feel more pressure now. And so um, uh, I'm, I'm trying not to. I'm trying to let go of that. I actually just did another appearance yesterday. I think it was like two days ago. And um, I, I kind of counseled them not to pay attention to outside pressures and timelines and stuff. And here I am doing it myself. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But um, I'm, tr I'm trying very hard to uh, say, okay, um, I have to let my character go where she needs to go, regardless of whether it's um, going to be more marketable. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so there's all those pressures of what story you're supposed to tell and, and what kind of style. Yeah, it can be very, very difficult. Um, and they, I think the things that we both talk, we most talk about with others, I find the stuff that I most hit on with my students is the stuff that I'm telling myself. Um, Michelle, you've got to remember this stuff. Julie, you've got a good question that I think we can end on because I think this is important. Um, how did you avoid the ANC merge? So basically the 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 combining of if you are associating yourself with your main character and your main character is dark night of the soul and you're putting so much of yourself in that moment how do you keep that separation between yourself and the character and the narrative or do you i mean is that something that you wrangled with is that something that you how did you work that yeah it's funny because i was not very conscious of it when i was writing the book it was when i was revising and the book and after it came out that I became aware like oh wait that's me I didn't see myself in the character so much when I was writing it yeah um, and I think that a lot of people do that with the first novel Jerry there's a lot of you know yourself um I think that's typical with first novelist and I I feel like I actually learned some things about myself uh, yeah. about my own um you know arrogances or um expectations that um by breaking my character it allowed me to see flaws in myself that yeah. maybe I'm not always right <laughs> or, you know, maybe I should see things from someone else's point of view. And so that was, it wasn't conscious in my mind when I wrote it. So it was almost it was kind of therapeutic, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like free therapy with yourself. 
No. Um, but it was it was good. Can I wanted to add one other really quick thing is, you know, we've been talking about this, um, you know, the dark night of the soul. And I, I wanted just to put a plug in there that I don't think it's just for, you know, big, dark novels, you know, no. things, you know, they can be very light stories have dark nights of the soul. And I just I just finished reading, a, um, it's, I guess you'd call it a beach reader, a rom-com called The Beach Trap. And um, it kind of riffs on the parent trap. And it's a light read. It's fun. It's joyful. But these two characters who I fall in love with, um, they get really dark and then they lose everything. And I was, as I was reading, I was like, this is a dark night of the soul in a beach read. And that's what made the book work because I went there with the characters. I went, I was sad. I was hurting for them. If they're, you know, lost love, lost sister relationship. Um, so I just want to put a plug in there that it isn't just for like, you know, a big dark novel or a thriller or a suspense yeah. novel, anything needs to have that moment. But that breaking is what attaches you to the characters and what makes and what brings, you know, the tears at the end of the book or, or whatever, yeah. whatever emotional response that you're having. Um, because I think as readers and as, as human beings, we're all kind of broken. We all go through these lives, you know, worrying about. I do, I do, what damage I'm causing, what mistakes I'm making. Um, and that's just, it's, it's a human element and, and you want to show that in your characters. And I think we tend to be nice to our characters because we want them to be like better than us or, or our best selves. Um, but that's going to hold the reader away. Um, and so, so willing to go there, willing again to go to your own dark night. So particularly if you find yourself very distant from your character or if other readers say, oh, I just don't get this character. I don't get what's going on. You might really have to go back into yourself in order to get there and find how you are like the character and you will find it. It is in there because you wrote the book. You are in that character, whether you want to be or not. All right, ladies, I'm going to have to move us on. Tomorrow, we're having the amazing Jim Shepard, and he is a, a renowned writer and teacher, so I hope everyone tunes in. He's so, so good. He has this idea called the Rate of Revelation, which is not necessarily about the ending. It's, it's a little bit more about pacing, but if you don't have it, you're going to blow your ending entirely. So I, I recommend listening tomorrow. And if you support what we're doing, please share, follow, and rate our 7 a.m. Novelist podcast. You can find it on Substack or other podcast platforms. And you can also find our full schedule at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Julian Tart, thank you so much for getting up with us in this, this early morning and facing the dark night of the morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I hope everyone has an absolutely fantastic writing day. And I hope you uh, feel some energy and are able to get back to your desk. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Michelle, for having me. Thanks, Michelle. There isn't nothing here.